So sacred rhythms has been this word for the year, and then we felt this series is on, on Sabbath. And why Sabbath? That word is kind of loaded. It's, 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 uh, it's kind of incredibly boring for most Christians, like the Sabbath. It's this religious word. And then, but of late, I feel like, if, you've, if you're big into reading and that sort of thing, it's kind of had a renewed focus of that the Sabbath has nothing to do with law. Most of us, I don't think, grew up with a super legalistic Sabbath culture. Maybe you did. Can I just, I like the show of hands. We've established that before. How many of you would say, like, the Sabbath was kind of legalistic the way we grew up? That's okay if you were. Amen. I see that hand. I see that cult. I know where you grew up, some of you. <laughs> well, I, I, would, I grew up in the South, in, uh, in, in the, the North Carolina region of the United States. And I would say that, that I had a pretty, pretty free upbringing. But it, there was still this kind of dynamic of the Sabbath having legalism attached to it, just culturally. Meaning, like, it was kind of poo-pooed on. I was like, oh, Christian, you, you missed church for that soccer game. Hope it was the playoffs, you know, or we, we had this kind of underlying thing. It was okay to miss for certain things, but not other things. And uh, the reality was, is overall, I don't think we had a legalistic culture, but I realized that it's, it creeps in. And it crept in so badly during the time of Jesus that the term Sabbath was one that almost every time Jesus talks about Sabbath, he's attacking religious people. Have you noticed that? It's kind of crazy. The reality was is that Sabbath was given to people before the law even existed. And my wife is going to share a little bit on that, going back to Genesis and so forth. But I love to do research on how the world looks at kind of biblical concepts or theological concepts. And, and I came across a, a TED Talk this week by, uh, what's her name? Her name is Beck something. Um, I'm going to give her credit. Beck Heinrich. Kirk Heinrich is one of my favorite basketball players back in the day, so I should have remembered that. Beck Heinrich gave this talk. She's not a, uh, a historical researcher, per se, but she uh, built companies. She's from Australia, and she, at a very young age, was a self-achiever. And she gave this TED Talk. Not, you can't find it on the TED Talk app. I had to go digging into the trenches of the TEDx talks. You know how TEDx and TED regular are too? It's kind of like a lower... You've got to really be seeking something to go to the X talks, if, you, if you're into that kind of thing. So I went digging, and she spoke in Fargo. I don't know, I can't believe they give TED Talks in Fargo. No offense, Sierra, but there's not a whole lot of people where you're from. <laughs> anyway, she gave this TED Talk, and, and I, I want to just, I, I just want to use this as a, I didn't, that wasn't offensive, was it? She's still smiling, sort of. It's like a half smile on her face, like I'm going to get you back for that, you jerk. Smile. Sorry, I love all of my Norwegian uh, um, cultural people are all there. So I love the Dakotas. There's just not many of them left, that's all. Uh, and it's freezing. Now we've got to hurry up. Thank you, wife. So what I want to do with this TED Talk thing is, is just highlight a couple things. And the point being is this is coming from someone who has no agenda for the church. Her whole talk was on redefining rest. And, and so today our talk is going to be on redefining rest, redefining Sabbath. And I think if we redefine rest... It'll be really easy to redefine Sabbath. How's that sound? Great. Fantastic. So she says this, we have a doing disease. We have a doing disease in our culture. We are no longer human beings, we're human doings. And I've heard that cliche a million times and I kind of roll my eyes. But when someone in, in, in culture says it and it's not from the church, I kind of receive them. I go, ooh, this should be good. And, and she, she ultimately says that the cure is very simple. It's rest. 
And I know what you're thinking. Is it the kind of rest where we just need to take more naps, sleep eight hours a night, and go on vacation? More vacation. <laughs> and she says we should do those things to a degree, and they're fine, but that has nothing to do with true rest. True rest has nothing to do with vacations. It has nothing to do with how much sleep that you get at night. How many of you have struggled with turning your mind off? Oh, my goodness. I've never struggled with that my whole life. Until, until I planted a church. church. <laughs> Just being real, people. I think about you all the time. Can't get you out of my head. To the point where all that research on anxiety and stress and all these things started becoming real. And so I actually had to invite the Lord into that place. And, uh, and so we, we really take it seriously, the, the idea that we study for us, not for you. And I've done that every day since we planted this church, is that everything we do when we study, when we teach, is from a place of, I've done, that, I've done doing this for myself. Amen. Um, because I'm no better than anyone else, and I really believe that any teacher that has any authority is because of what they've seen God do into their own life. And if I can't teach from a place of, this is what I'm discovering in God, there's nothing that I actually have to give you except information. And so the, the idea here is that we're really discovering what true rest looks like in our own life. And the best thing ever was it didn't have anything to do with our toddler not sleeping. Oh, she sleeps well, but when we've gone through the whole thing with many of you. If you're not sleeping, if, if you're, if you're uh, not going on enough vacation, the good news is, is that has nothing to do with true rest. The other side of that is if you are getting eight hours a night or you're pursuing that and you're going on amazing vacations, you can still do them. Okay, so the, the idea here is that the cure for the doing disease is true rest. 53% of people in general do not factor in rest to their weekly schedule. 53% do not factor in rest at all. That is jolting. 62% say that their workplace culture has a negative value towards rest. 62% of human beings. That is a little bit scary. And then there's these barriers. There's barriers like being guilty. We don't know how to, to rest. We can't switch off our minds. We can't disconnect from technology. And that we're overcommitted in every single aspect of life. Can we all kind of say amen to that is kind of our culture right now? We have an issue with disconnect. Solution, like I said, is not sleep and vacations. So let us define the rest. What does actual rest look like? And I love this definition that she gives. She says, the renewing, this is a non-Jesus-loving human being, as far as I know. At least it's not in the context of church. Rest is this, the renewing of one's depleted physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual reserves. Deep internal renewal that occurs in the whole self. And then she says this, and this is, I believe, a definition of Sabbath that she accidentally gave. So she defines rest as what I just said, and then she defines Sabbath accidentally, and she says, a space away from people-pleasing, performing, controlling, and doing, freedom to invest my energy as a starting place, a place I can move out of and into the world. If you don't hear anything else today, Sabbath is the starting place from which you move out into the rest of the world. It's a place away, a space away from people-pleasing, performing, controlling, and from doing. Freedom to invest your energy. So this is a big deal. And we need to stop applauding leaders and ourselves for working 18-hour days or for just never turning our minds off. We need to slow down in order to speed up. 
We need to slow down in order to speed up. A couple final thoughts on, on her little shindig, and then let my wife unleash on you. I was blown away at her story. She basically has a breakdown, and I'm like, of course, every CEO of a fortune company that has built a whatever has a breakdown, right? But her story gets interesting when she says, what was the issue? It was her identity, and she used the term identity, my identity. And we hound our identity in Jesus because it's what the human soul is crying out for, is to have your identity affirmed by a heavenly father that tells you who you are. And she says, my identity finally wasn't in achieving or doing, but just being, and it was incredible. All she did was come to America to get away from Australia. She cried for 19 hours on the plane. She, she stumbles upon a friend's house in Maryland, and she just goes into the backyard anywhere from one to four hours a day, and she just sat there and disconnected from everything that had been ruining her existence. And she started to heal. Rest found healing, truth, and freedom. I grew as a leader, a woman, friend. I became more humble, authentic, more myself, more whole. And the things that simply, uh, that were running a million miles an hour, I realized they simply did not have to happen. And I believe why she found this. I believe she found this because she, she sacrificed an idol that she had subconsciously worshipped. And that idol was achievement. And we live in a culture that worships achievement and accomplishment. So can we put that idol of achievement, whether you have attached yourself to it subconsciously or intentionally, and say, today, put your hands in front of you. Today I give achievement and accomplishment. I give the idol of this culture to you. I refuse to be sucked into it. I refuse to have my identity defined by it. And I receive, Holy Spirit, your grace to receive this word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and now my wife is going to get into the word a little bit for us. Awesome. So, good morning. It's always weird when you start talking to hear your voice on a loudspeaker. Um, as Christian said, we can sometimes struggle to turn our minds off. And it happens in work, it happens in church, it happens in life, it happens when parenting. There's always something more you can be thinking about, more you can be doing, how you can be perfecting the gifting God has given you. Not us, but the children. Or what are you doing in the church? And God's always speaking. So it's really easy to get into that mentality of go, 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 do, 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 more, more, more. And so this past year, I kind of have been on a journey, rest. What does that mean, Jesus? Because I don't actually live in it and I don't understand it. And so I'm like, okay, so rest in my mind, it's the opposite of striving. So the Christians were supposed to receive the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And striving, that's diametrically opposed to rest. And then the Lord started speaking to me, and he goes, I want you to strive. And I was like, excuse me? That's I rebuke you, word. Satan, in Jesus' name. And again, the Lord's like, I want you to strive. And I was like, what? And he goes, there's one time in my scripture that I speak of striving. It's you need to strive to get into my rest. So this is Hebrews 4, Passion Translation which wrecked me, and I'm sure it will wreck you. And I'm going to begin before the verse, strive to get into my rest. So I'm starting in Hebrews 4, 8. Now, if this promise of rest was fulfilled when Joshua brought the people into the land, or into the promised land, God wouldn't have spoken later of another rest yet to come. 
So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith slash rest life, we cease from our own works. Just as God celebrated his finished works and rest in them. So now we must give our all. In other words, it's saying we must work really hard not to work. (laughs) And to land into that rest. So like James said during announcement, he's like, I'm going to learn to rest. I'm going to nap. And rest is a physical thing. It is a nap. But it's an emotional thing, a mental thing, a spiritual thing. And even this past, last night, I was like, I'm going to get a really good rest, night's rest. So I go to bed at 10. And then comes 11. And then comes 12. Then comes 1. Then comes 2. And I'm like, good night, Jesus. We're talking tomorrow on rest, and I'm not sleeping zero. And he's like, because I want you to learn. It's not about, and I'm very much like a guardian of my sleep. I love to sleep. I don't have a hard time That's sleeping. That's so true. And <laughs> like, babe, it's let's like she talk. She has weapons. She has yeah. weapons to guard it, too. I do. Yeah. And I'm like, it's 930 at night. Are you out of your mind? No, we're winding down. We'll talk tomorrow. And, and supposed to be the women, up. supposed to be I'm the talker, up. come when yeah. it's time to rest. I'm like, that's a sacred time for me. Mm. But so last night, not sleeping. And then my alarm was set to go off at 5. His went off at 5, and then once before his goes actually. off, actually a little before that, mm. bless you. Amen. I was like, well, now I'm up. So I laid there thinking, and I was like, all right, Jesus, this is your deal, because it's not physical rest. And he's like, you're right. I'm not talking about physical rest today. I'm talking about an internal rest, a rest that you carry everywhere you go, in and out of every circumstance you'll walk into. So rest, this is stunning, but rest is the tangible expression of God's presence. In Exodus 14, when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, what does God say? My rest will go with you, or my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So in, innately, he's saying, how will you know that my presence is going with you? You, they, you or they will have rest. And I'm, he's kind of, is not in the language, but in between the lines, he's saying, you are no longer a slave. You're not under Pharaoh. You're not in the pits. You can have a day off. You can rest. Because as slaves, you don't take time off. You work all the time. There is no resting. It's go, 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 do, do, do. So, guys, we're not a people that are looking for the presence of God. Because God, he's inside us. And honestly, you can't get any more presence than that if he's already inside you. So rest is something we receive. Rest, and Christian kind of alluded to this, it's a weapon. And you need to see it as a weapon. Fear, anxiety, worry, rest displaces those. It's a choice. And we get to partner with this choice or partner with this gift. And even to learn to say no to a negative thought, rest helps you do that. Like if you're about to have an intense argument and you're married, you know you shouldn't have that at 10 o'clock at night. Because that 20-minute intense argument is really going to be a four-hour intense argument. And you're going to go to bed mad, depleted, and drained. Or maybe that's just us. We did that one, one time. A little window that. into yeah. our marriage. So if we're going to have an intense talk, I'm like, good point. Or I'll say that's actually a bad point. I have some thoughts about that. But we'll talk about it in the morning. And that's then, exactly how it sounds, too. That's every, yeah. That four-hour potential stressful after rest and talking to the Lord in the morning, it's a 20-minute discussion and a solution is easy to come by. Yeah. Yeah. So rest 
in just to, is the tangible expression of God's presence. Really amazing. And Christian's going to go into a little bit about modern churches and the Sabbath and the lie of being busy. Yeah, so the first point is that we have uh, a struggle today. Today's Sabbath struggle. And I, I alluded to it already, accomplishment and accumulation. That, that is the idol of our culture. And on top of that, we have defined busyness as a positive attribute rather than a negative attribute. How many of you have gone into a situation where you see an old friend and go, how you doing? How you doing, Richard? Good, 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 Christian, good. You busy? Busy? Yeah, busy. I, I cringe now. I cringe now. I, I want to challenge you. What kind of people are we becoming? We ask that question continually. What kind of people are we becoming? Not busy. Yes. I can have a full schedule and not be busy. In fact, the only way that that gives freedom is that you don't have to necessarily say that my schedule has to be empty for me to not be busy. Busy is a place of hurry in your spirit. And you can feel it. I can have a schedule packed from beginning to end of my day, and I can be present in everything that I'm doing. And then I can have a schedule where I had a couple things planned throughout the day, but I'm like, I'm, I'm like frazzled all day, and I'm in a state of hurry. I'm not present with the people I'm at. I'm distracted, and it's usually a mental place. Does that, does that kind of resonate? Because hurry is a place in your spirit. It's not a place in your schedule. At the same time, you can utilize simplifying your schedule to help foster a spirit of rest, for sure. We're not going to get into all the new, new nods of that today. But the place I want to get at is busyness, instead of it being an attribute of you've got stuff going on, the American dynamic is you're busy, so you've got stuff going on, you've, you're going towards something, you're making progress in your life. We worship progress. We worship accomplishment. We worship productivity. And in a, and in a society that worships productivity, busyness is good. Did you know that the busyness of Scripture was demonic in nature? The only time Scripture speaks of an element of busyness was referring to a demonic spirit for this very reason. That alone is a little bit convicting, but it should be life-giving because the reality is, is this is not a terrible word for us. This is not like a heavy, brrr. This is the most life-giving word that I have found in probably the last five years of my life. Because what it's doing is that the God of all creation is beckoning us, pulling us, and inviting us into a life that's more free, more full, more whole, and more happy on every single level because what is literally holding us hostage in our minds, the busyness, hurriness, and the idols of this culture are being invited through the realm of Sabbath to be violently severed from our life. That makes the whole invitation the opposite of legalism the opposite of the negative effects of what law can do, and it brings you into how grace puts something of the Father's invitation before us and says, come and feast of this way of life. Can somebody say, hmm, hmm, okay, thank you, that makes me feel a little better. Okay, so number one was today's Sabbath struggle. You have an example for busyness that you were going to share? Yes, and some other things. Okay, go ahead. As, well, my example would be, it's actually very personal, but my mom will call, who's not yet a believer in Jesus, 
or follower of the way. And uh, she'll be like, how are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm busy. I'm good. And she's like, yeah, I know you're really busy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really busy. I have this going on, this going on. She's like, yeah, that's good. You're busy. I'm like, yeah, I'm busy. And I'm like, why am I telling her? I'm like proving myself through saying I'm busy to her. And she's saying, oh, I validate you through your busyness. And I excuse your lack of calling me because you're busy. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm talking about this. I'm learning about this. And yet I'm living in the way with one of my most intimate people in my life by proving myself through being busy. And it was exactly opposed to about a year and a half ago, the Lord's like, I'm going to teach you about power. And I was like, great. I love power. I want to learn about power. And he goes, no, no, it's not power like you think. It's not the dunamis power. It's the power of being present. And I was like, okay, that's going to shift everything. It's like, yeah, it's a stop button. And you're going to be fully present with a person, looking them in the eyes, starting from the youngest to the oldest, Mm -hmm. and which is the opposite of busyness. Because busyness, it always wars against our awareness of God. It fights and it competes for your God awareness. And we don't expand our awareness of God's presence through striving. We enlarge our awareness of God's presence through rest. And I don't mean naps. It's this internal rest. So no matter what is going on around you, maintaining that heart of rest, it's a big deal for me and it's a big deal for you. Because it's in that atmosphere that faith grows. It's in that atmosphere that we are most aware of his presence. And it's in that atmosphere that we best hear his voice. So we need to strive or be diligent to get in that rest. Because ultimately the Lord told me, he's like, if it costs you your rest, the price is too high. And in today's world, what Christian was talking about, like this disease of almost being busyness, people often speed up to avoid confronting their unhappiness. It's like, why don't you take a break? And if you really think about it, it's like, well, if I stop, then I have to deal with myself. But the reality is we were created to rest. It says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Sabbath rest is coming to you, whether it's a gift or it's a mark of pain, because they're going to burn out. And we can't run at the pace that we've been running at. So final thing, then I'm going to go back to you. But leaning back on what Seth was talking about maturity, I've kind of had my eyes open to, I think, one of the most qualifying aspects of maturity is your ability to rest. When we look at older people, mature, wise people, are they ever in a hurry? Are they ever like, yeah, 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 okay, good, yeah, I'll talk to you later. No, but am I? All the time. So it's like, oh, I think that they actually grasp this moment of rest where you're like, and you hear life is too quick, savor the moment, but that's actually a really mature thing because they're not missing the moment. They're not missing God's presence in what he's doing, that power of being present. And I'm like, that defines maturity. Because you're willing to be present with people, you're being willing to be present with God, mm-hmm. and live from that state of rest. Really good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, so the first point being today's Sabbath struggle, we often want his presence without being present. Yeah. We often want his presence without actually being present ourselves. And as you said scripturally, we're wanting to redefine point two being the rest and Sabbath that we've already talked about, redefining these biblical themes. Sabbath was obviously one of the Ten Commandments. Did you know all the Ten Commandments, all the other nine are do not, do not, do not? Sabbath is remember. Remember. It's not a do not, it's a remember. Why? 
because there's history there. And where did God incorporate the Sabbath? From the very beginning of the created order, when he established how the world and creation works, Sabbath was ingrained into all of it. Your animals need rest, your land needs rest, your people need rest, your finances need rest. That's why they got the Jubilee year. And the reality was is that ancient cultures and that whole creation story was, was meant to be subversive, meaning this. That whole dynamic in Genesis, I wish we could have the, the time to go into the depths of Genesis and compare it to the ancient writings in other cultures, but the Arcadians, the Phoenicians, and other ancient um, peoples, they all had this kind of creation story that was very similar to that in Genesis. Uh, most people that study the Bible for the first time at that level are kind of shocked by that, going like, Oh, you mean like Moses didn't like orchestrate that entire thing out of nowhere? No, he's taking very common realities of the ancient peoples, of how they told stories about how the world was birthed out of some kind of deity. And the issue is, is not the similarities. The issue is the differences. And the difference between the story of Israel and the, the writings of the creation story that, that, that Moses wrote Giving, giving the credit, obviously, to, to the one true God of Israel, is that this God had a unique difference in that this God refuses to treat people like slaves. He refuses to treat people like slaves. The work dynamic that Sabbath comes in and subverts, the world saw this whole thing as the more you work, the more power you have, the more slaves you can take over, so that they can work for you, produces productivity, produces value, produces wealth. You have to put someone under your boot in order to have life, success, prosperity. And the God of Israel redefined prosperity. And this God did not require slavery. So that's, that's the creation story. And we have to receive that and realize that that was actually more of what the God that we serve is trying to communicate, what kind of God am I like? I'm not like these other gods. I'm not like these other beliefs. I'm not a God that puts my people under slavery. Imagine 400 years of these people under slavery in Egypt, holding on to those promises to enter his rest. Hmm. Does, that, does that give some kind of context to what these words are birthed out of? And, and then what's, what's amazing to me, and I want to kind of skim over for sake of time, um, is that community is a massive deal in Scripture with Sabbath. You cannot separate the Sabbath dynamic apart from community. Jewish people go to synagogue on Sabbath, obviously. They also live very close to the synagogue. Why? Because they can't drive and they can't do all these other things on the Sabbath, so they have to walk. But the idea is that you're walking with people. And so that everyone that's on their way to the synagogue is walking together, you're there together. Why does Jesus heal so often on the Sabbath? Because the people are together on the Sabbath. That's when they got together. I kind of always had in my, my mind's eye that Jesus was healing because he was just always in the synagogue. And he was around it. But the reality was is the people were in the synagogue most often on the Sabbath. They still worked on the other days of the week. So his healing ministry was predominantly on Sabbath. He was stirring up all the, all the religious leaders on Sabbath because that was when the people were together. That was when the teaching happened. That was when they were processing and doing life together. And so there's an element of us taking the distraction of society and valuing the concepts of silence and solitude and prayer and so forth and so on. But there's also the dynamic that we cannot sever Sabbath from community. And what we do together, not just today, but throughout the week, 
that, that in, inhabits the place where community can take effect, where people get to know you and you process life and dynamics together. You cannot do Sabbath apart from that. And that gathering together, if you do nothing on a Sunday, if you, don't, if you phase out whatever's happening up here, but you have one significant conversation, look, moment with a single person, you're still doing something of Sabbath. And I think we need to not just worship the place of the music and the word on Sabbath, but the place of where community happens. It's a touch point. And even sometimes I've had these moments where it was like, oh, I haven't seen this person that I have had highlighted 27 different times and I just ignored it. I saw them that one Sunday because we come to this place and Sabbath together. And finally, I was just like, hey, call me. We need to do coffee. And it was the Sabbath that allowed us to continually have access points together to where I finally invited that person to speak into my life and it transformed it and gave me a significant word, a place that I could stand on and operate out of for months and years to come. That is how subtle something of Sabbath can still play a role in transforming your life and bringing you into a place of access points to other people that have what we need. Do not minimize community as a part of Sabbath. And then finally, did you, want, did you add your, the rest of your rest part there? Did I skip over any of that? Uh, the rest you're good on. But okay. I do want to touch community. Yeah, go for it. Because um, I think we're going to go into solitude and silence, and that's a huge part of Sabbath, stilling your mind and just becoming one, aware of the oneness with your creator. But like Christian said, we can't separate community from the Sabbath. And if this is kind of going back to Genesis 2, but... God had finished creation, and on the seventh day, he had Sabbath or a Shabbat, which they'll say in um, Hebrew work. But God rested, and he said, now come do, like I do, come together as a family. Our homes are intended to be an outpost to heaven. And the purpose of covenant, we spoke on this a lot, is family. And really, guys, all the fathers wants, he wants his kids back. In Genesis 3, we left the table. So what does a Sabbath look like if going back to Genesis 2? It's come back to the table. Come back to the community. Come back to the heart of your father who wants his firstborn sons and daughters back at the table. So in Jewish, still to this day, um, culture, they have certain foods they only eat on the Sabbath. So it's kind of like you have this food, you look forward to it. Oh, that's so good. I can't wait for six more days. And then I get to have it again. And they actually call it a cornucopia of delight. So instead of like where, oh, it's the Sabbath and there's religious notions with it, it's like, no, let's make that day a cornucopia of delight, where we're delighting with our maker, we're delighting with the ones we love the most, and starting from that place is where we begin our week, from that place of total refreshment, total connection, and total delight. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just envisioning myself <laughs> teaching my kids about the cornucopia of delight, and we're going to be and also singing that. And also, if you're married, be intimate on that day. Yeah. Add to your cornucopia okay. of delight. Okay. Oh, that's a shift. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Sabbath praise. Amen. Okay. But don't use it as a rule. Like husbands, like, hey, it's Sabbath. Uh, One, no. That'll get you in we trouble. We don't worship the Sabbath. We worship the Lord of the Sabbath. That's right. That's so right. on any day, I can tell this is going to get out of hand Sabbath. if I don't pull this in. Jesus, so is Lord. So Amen. the community piece was the point three. Point four briefly was um, Sabbath is not a vacation. Sabbath is is not a vacation. Uh, I love how Eugene Peterson. I, I read this great book or, or highlighted some of this book this week. Um, A.J. Swoboda. 
S-W-O-B-O-D-A. He wrote this amazing book called Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest. And he quotes, uh, I've probably quoted him a couple times, so I'm giving him credit right now. But Eugene Peterson, um, when he gives the difference between a Sabbath and a day off, kind of talking in the concept of vacation and so forth, he goes, a day off at home, but thinking about work and other responsibilities. This is what Eugene says. That's a bastard Sabbath. A bastard Sabbath. For those of you that are translating that into English, that means an illegitimate child. <laughs> Probably should have used that word. The, <laughs> people, recording. The, the idea, though, is that this is not Sabbath. You're doing something incredibly wrong if you're saying that you're taking a day off, but you're at home thinking about work or responsibilities. A Sabbath is meant to be the place where you literally retreat from that which is work for you. And in our world, that is the mind. I have to leave. I have to do something so different because my mind will not turn off. We have to get almost cavalier in the way that we take seriously what Sabbath means, what you have to do, where you have to place yourself, what you have to fill your mind with in order to actually Sabbath. And if we do not figure out how to do it, and the only way we do it is by going on vacation or by, by, by numbing, we're not resting. And it will take a toll. And it is an epidemic. And your body, your spirit, your soul, and your loved ones will take and pray the, the, pay the price for it. So what's the difference in the activities between Sabbath and vacation? Because here's the thing is we, we sometimes think that it, is this just that we're asking to just be in a dark room and meditate and so forth. And, and here's, here's the thing. You know, for some of us, and I'm trying to do a, a better and better job with this, is uh, there's always the stories of those kids that had the dad that was always on the phone. And now it's like he's always doing emails on the cell phone or whatever else. And, but when dad takes me fishing or when he takes me to Disneyland or whatever it is, it's, that's the point where I know that he's going to be off and he's going to be all mine and engaged. And, you know, every father or every parent that kind of is, is reminded of those scenarios remembers that, like, no matter how great a job you do, you know that there's always the times where you are that person. I'm really good at when I know I'm on a date or doing something with the family, like to put the phone away, we're, we're present. But I know that I do spend a lot of my life, and my kids do see me not present often. How do I attack that? How do I attack the lack of being present and allow Sabbath to minister into that place in my life and to teach my kids around it and not teach them how not to Sabbath because that's what we end up doing is we're actually discipling our kids how not to rest when we show them that we're never resting, when our minds are always going. And so, uh, yes, being alone and all that jazz and, and silence and solitude is, is wonderful and good, but how much more countercultural could we be by being a people that strive to have a day a week, or some of us it's going to be a couple hours, and that's completely fine, where we do active rest. For me, last Monday, the active rest was I had to go climb Eden Canyon, turn my head off. And I had to just get to the top, exhausted, sit there, and it took a long time, because I hiked so much that my like, knees like, fell apart on the way down, I had to like, stop, I have like, sore knees. And it wasn't that I was, like, out of breath, and I'm not in great shape, but my knees, like, I realized, oh, man, I did a lot of hiking until I finally felt myself at rest. And, and it was kind of, I had this moment where I was like, this is why Jesus went away and climbed mountains. I think it wasn't just the, the people around him. I think it, he also, with the heart of compassion, he was always thinking and processing navigating and he had to literally climb mountains to be at rest i had to do that for my mind to shut off from everything else it was an act of rest
I even had a pastor friend said, bro, that doesn't look like rest to me. And I said, I know. You should download our sermon Sunday. Anyway. <laughs> the, the point is, is do whatever you can. You may not be able to take a day. We often can't take a day because we have other responsibilities and jobs. But you have to do something that develops that sacred rhythm of life that says, I trust you, God, that you are God of Sabbath because you're God of creation. And because you're God of creation and God of Sabbath, you have said, this is what I need. And this is the most selfless thing I can do is to regulate my life to the way that you said I am wired to live. Sabbath is not a vacation. Sabbath is a witness. You had something on that. So often as I give examples, they're children-based or with my school because I'm a teacher. So this past week, as I knew we were preparing about this, the Lord spoke and he said, I'm going to teach you about the delight of the Father over you as you Sabbath. And I was like, okay, what do you mean? I'm in here and there's three and four-year-olds and usually they're screaming, Miss Martinson, Miss Martinson, help me. Miss Martinson, so-and-so did this, da-da-da. And it's often not at rest or not at peace or not in Sabbath. But this one moment, I was standing up and I was watching the children and they were just playing not like super quietly, but they were playing some together, some by themselves, building towers and sharing like, Tobin, look at what I built. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. And then Tobin's creativity is flourishing. And it was this picture of like, they're not not doing anything, but they're totally at rest in their spirit. Their soul is at rest. And in that, he's like, the father was like, how do you feel? I was like, I feel amazing. He's like, that's how I feel when my children Sabbath. And it was this beautiful picture where I saw the children, they were secure. They felt seen by their peers. They felt loved. And then it was like, eh, eh. <laughs> and he's like, now watch what's not Sabbath. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and he go, and then walking, fast forward, half hour that day, I hear, I'm the line leader. Liam, get behind me. My tower is higher than your tower. Laura, stop scribble scrabbling outside the lines. Tobin, that's not how you cut. Tobin's in my class. Um, Tiffany and Clark's little one. But ultimately, the Lord's like, watch, creativity just got stunted. Comparison against one another to see who's winning, who finishes first, who's following directions like best. There was this vying for position. And this affirmation came, but it was at the expense of another. And he was like, that is the opposite of being at rest. That is the opposite of a soul that is living in Sabbath. And Ultimately, I was like, oh my gosh, I kind of wish, looking at them, I'm like, sometimes I kind of wish I could yell at people in line when I'm feeling frustrated and I'm not living at rest. Because like, literally had a child do that to me. I was like, that is disrespectful. Sit down right now. <laughs> Welcome to Ms. Martinson's classroom. Um, but I'm like, no, I'm an adult. I should be at rest. But really, what I was doing, the Lord's like, sometimes you do that and you know you need to be at rest, but you're an adult. And instead of dealing with it, stopping and taking time to be in community, to be one with the Lord, you just take that need for rest and you push it down like a ball underwater and you keep pushing it and you keep pushing it and you keep pushing it so far down under the surface that the pressure is building, pressure is building, and then it pops up out of the water and like shoots really far. But example, that's really just burnout. And that's what happens when we don't take that rest. And so... Really, for me, I'm like, that's a lot of work to try and push down our need for rest when we don't have to do it because the Lord's already prescribed us. How are you going to thrive in life? Rest. 
take a Sabbath. And when you, I mean, ultimately when you look at Jesus, it says he's the prince of peace. And he lived in perfect rest. But he didn't live in perfect rest. He lived in environments where constantly pulling on him, constantly being like, Jesus, I need a healing. This person's demonically possessed. How do I learn more? What about this? Can I do this to get into heaven? But yet he stayed in that internal place of rest, not letting the surrounding environment move him. So as we, as a people, it's like, how are we becoming people of rest? I think the one key that we're taking away today is where's your time? Where's your time carved out that you're not doing the dishes, i.e. me, you're not cleaning the house, you're not making the house in order so your mind can be at peace because that's an excuse. It's like, oh no, I'm going to be fully present with you, God, or I'm going to be fully present with my husband and that day and take it just to rest. Really good. Yeah, so if I could have worship team or just to start playing some music. I want to read this, this final thing over us. Um, as a witness, I think that we can strive because we're allowed to strive for one thing, and that's rest. And as we strive for rest, can we start to become a people that those around us are craving? Our, one of our, yeah. our church mantras, which is a scripture out of Romans, is that all creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. All creation is eagerly waiting for those that have been adopted into heaven's family, and that's us. And how many of you just, at times, you just feel like, I'm just failing at being that thing that they're craving. They don't want to be like me. If they knew, if they only knew, oh, woe is me. Like, and we can just get so negative on ourselves and so heavy, and uh, I love them. I want to love them and do what I can, but they don't, I don't really want them to see me, because if they knew, they wouldn't love Jesus. <laughs> And, and the reality is, is we still struggle with fear when we're dealing with rest. And we've thought about that a lot and talked about that in recent weeks. But what stops rest? The number one reason is fear. And going back to, to Beck Heinrich, she says that it's either the fear of falling behind, the fear of letting down, the fear of not getting praise from the world, or the fear of coming face to face with ourselves that keeps us from rest. And that rest needs a fight. It needs to have something contending for it. It needs to be fought for through the lie that busy and doing all the time is an inspiring act because it's not. Being busy is not an inspiring act. It's not an inspiring lifestyle. It's an epidemic of distraction. So to, to close.